now, back to Cluthy and Company with Scott Cluthy on Wisdom Radio. And don't forget, you can always call in live, 1-800-655-2112. I remind you, because every week, Marion Bell, our healthy lifestyle coaching gurus here, and... Uh, you know, I know you folks get some questions. It's a good time to call while you're on the air. Hello, Marion. Hello, Scott. How are you, darling? Great. Very good. And also here with Craig and uh, and Garrison. And we're taking the ABCs of vitamins today. You actually have a quiz. Yes, I do. Okay. Before I even start the quiz, I want to remind people that just because they think they're eating well doesn't mean that they have enough nutrition, and that's why people take vitamins or herbs. And these are some of the things. So here we go. Do you spend a lot of time working under strong fluorescent lights? Mm, and no. I think that's really 100% of the people. A on lot the of office workers. I think I do. I think I do. Right. So if you're sitting you under a fluorescent sure. yeah. light, that's actually eating up a lot of B nutrients. B nutrients. B nutrients. So you're having but to do more B. Fluorescent lights. Fluorescent lights. Not, not your standard light bulbs. Right. Those are called incandescent. Okay. So like if I'm giving a, a speech in a hotel ballroom. Right. right. Okay. Your and especially, and especially when you're in like, uh, if you're doing things like, you know, most offices that everything's fluorescent, you can All actually change out those bulbs and put a grow light in there, a our fluorescent glow light. I used to do that when I worked in a cooking and store. Our kids spend all day under That's those right. lights and all can't day. get out of it if they That's wanted right. to. That's, That's right. right. That's right. In Europe, they are actually banned. They are not allowed. They don't use them in Sweden at all. Darn, why are they ahead of us so often? All right, here's another one. During the past year, how often did you come down with a cold or infection? I was just sitting with one what of our... What kind of infection? What kind of infection? Right. Which one? No. Kind okay. of, any Which, flu or virus. Oh. If you get a scratch and it doesn't heal well. So if you come down with a cold more than once a year, because sometimes we do have some vicious colds, someone sneezes over you. Right. That is letting you know. Your sinuses are... That's letting you know you are nutritionally... Not sound. That's a clue. Yeah. Do you have a cocktail or two before dinner oh, or yeah. lunch? Oh, yeah. No. Right? I so drinking mouth. alcohol leaches nutrients out of your system. He, he had rum with the was bagel for breakfast. Yeah. Okay. He had a little alcohol with his bagel. You put bagel. that rum butter on there? Okay. That'll do it. What are you? You're such a snitch. It's like <laughs> Next. Do you buy your meals at a fast food place or buy a oh, frozen man. dinner? Yes. Oh, Craig Price. Oh, okay. I, I was employee of the month at McDonald's, and I don't even work there. That's, That's how much right. I open That's its right. love box. It's nothing and but coupons. remember, it's even a frozen meal. If you even buy a frozen meal, and in the natural foods industry now, we have a lot of frozen foods. That doesn't mean you're eating nutritionally sound right. because it's been cooked so twice. So organic Amy's, frozen lasagna is right. just another it, slab off the old block? That's correct. So That's frozen correct. food is not good. No, frozen food is not good. Now, it's if, it's, if it's a blanched it. vegetable, a that blanched? means a blanched vegetable. That means they quickly cooked it for one minute and froze it. It still has nutritional value. But we're talking about cooked meals. They've been cooked once, and then you cook you them again. You can't count on blanched veggies, though. Not really. Only no. south of the Mason-Dixon. Now, we know most people blanched. don't do this anymore, especially if they're listening to Wisdom Network. No. Uh oh Do you smoke cigarettes? Heck no. Oh, oh I quit. Okay. There you go. Right. Most of the people oh. that are going to be listening to us don't follow that. So Hope we know not. cigarettes take a lot of C and B vitamins. What about cigars? Life. Cigars, if you don't inhale... Great. If but you inhale, you're not supposed to inhale. Smoke some Clinton. people inhale. Hello, I, I smoke yeah. cigars once in a great moon. Yeah. So oh, anyway, good. That, that, no. I'm glad you. I've knew got that a one. middle picture of that. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you can see that with me. The moon's great often. Okay. Do you spend a lot of time in highly populated or industrial areas? We well, do. Well, we live here. We live in Houston, so we know that we do that. Okay. Is lunch your first meal of the day? That yes. means you skipped 
breakfast. Every other day, I'd have to say that's yeah. probably right. the case. Uh, then I, you're losing a lot of nutritional. Coffee doesn't yeah. count. That means, that means you're taking too long with breaking the fast because you're probably the meal okay. you had the night before. Right. You, if you're in a fasting situation or you're actually planning on breaking fast, that's a whole other thing. Do you avoid exercising? No. Like the no. plague. If you do not exercise, you actually cannot absorb nutrients well. I'm going to die by the end of the show. I can feel it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're wafer thin, Craig. You I, look pale right and now. And I got them in good shape. One. He is yes, pale. And do you have a sweet tooth? That means oh. if, you're craving, if you're craving too many sweets, you are very nutritional. Of the especially three he has left. Two that's or right. No, but you don't really eat sweets, do you? No, I'm not a big sweet. I mean, I like them, but I don't eat, I don't eat them a lot. But Garrison does in your place. Not really. I don't, I don't know. I no. don't really eat that many he's sweets. A, he's right. more of a kiwi yeah. kind of guy. Okay. Because when you're eating... Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm a kiwi kind of guy? You, 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 he's more of a... Yeah, kiwis. I fruits. Kiwi, I Just kiwi. turn them off anytime you want. Okay, right. good. So anyway, the reason why the sweet thing is because you're actually mineral inefficient, and if you're craving chocolate, you're copper and zinc inefficient. I'm, wow. I'm yeah. not. I'm, yeah. He's just inefficient. Uh, that's, yes. All right. Here we go. If you have yelled or want to yell at someone, you are very nutritionally inefficient. We, I get this a lot with my menopause women. I get this a lot with college kids. I think you get that a lot when you're around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah I, I have a tendency just to yell at you in general. No, you have like no. a menopause yeah. club that you get together with? Yeah. And, and Garrison. He's going to join it. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's getting now, close. If, if you're surrounded by people Finally, who are yelling at you. Finally, you made me laugh. Finally, you made me laugh. Okay, fine. Good. Don't Let's make go me yell over you guys. All right. right. Now, let's talk about a few things, if I have a minute or two left. Go for it. All right. We talk a lot about vitamin C. What I really would want you to eat the foods best. Thank you. And while Marion is taking a slug of some natural water, it's her throat. Out of a blue ice cup. How many vitamins are in that? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, baby, that tastes good. All right. bourbon is what that so is. So one of the things is we want you to eat as much of your food as possible. So I prefer that you eat fresh fruit, loads of vitamin C, and vegetables are full of vitamin C. Tomatoes, full Absolutely. of vitamin C. Absolutely. Red and green peppers. But I have a question, but all that fruit has a lot of, that's kind of a lot of sugar, sugar kind of a lot of sweet. If I'm eating all that <coughs> sugar, I mean, how good is that for my immune system? How good is that for me in That's natural sugar. Uh -huh. For people that are hypoglycemic, even that much sugar might be too much. So we're going to balance them out because they're mineral inefficient. So if you're hypoglycemic and this fruit sugar is way too much, like, you know, I had three apples today. There was a period of time maybe over the summer, three apples might have made me dizzy. Depends on what my nutritional system might have been. How many apples time. are you eating? Well, it's a lot of sugar in three apples. But today I wanted three apples, so I've already had two. And I can tell I would like to eat another one, and I'm okay. But anything that, make, <laughs> anything that makes you... I look like an apple to her right now. She looks like she would kill us all for an apple right now. Any food that makes you dizzy is bad, right? Yeah, because it means your system isn't okay. eating. It's like rum allergy. cake. Right, right. Rum, rum cake. cake. Okay. It'll make you dizzy. All right. So the other one, well, a lot of Americans are very inefficient in B vitamins, really. And amino acids would really be what I would prefer that you take if you're taking a B vitamin. Complex? Yeah, amino acid complex. Okay. Because That's it is a powdered form, easier to ingest, whereas a lot of the B vitamins that we get at the health food store have a coating on them, much harder to break down in your gut. The little capsules. Right. And the best B vitamins are nuts and seeds. Really, chewing them. But if you don't chew your food, you're getting no nutrition. Now, For those of you guys that are swallowing like two bites, two bites, you're getting no nutrition. How about sesame seeds on a That's hamburger? Like the Budweiser that would frogs. be good if it was See? a whole wheat bun. Oh, whole wheat. Then the whole wheat tastes, again. Mm. It's got to be whole. What is it? You just said something very interesting. So if you're 
eating properly, but you're not really chewing your food properly, then you're really not getting the nutrients, regardless that of how is nutrition is the food. Correct. Passing right through the system, That's basically, right? right? Shoot so for the colon. we can, you know, some people say, why do I have to take these vitamins? There's this whole, you know, group of people, doctors are included in that. They say, you don't need vitamins, just eat a little good food. Well, mm -hmm. first of all, we can't eat a little good food because our, our grounds have very little nutrients. We can't find any good food. And occasionally you get organic food if you're lucky enough to be able to shop and a lot of people can eat that, but if they're not chewing the food, there's no nutrition involved. So I suggest people time how long they're eating. Now, okay. Mother Nature provides the biological system right. to break down with amino acids and so on of the natural body that we have That's to right. do this. And right. when you don't chew, when you gulp right. your food, it, never, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. We are not set up the same as a right. dog or a cat or other animals and that do wolf their food or right. whatever. It's and a so different system. The reason why we take nutrients is because we don't chew well. We're under stress. We sit under fluorescent lights. We live in a polluted environment. You have to. Years ago, I Man, did not I have to take a nutrient every day. <laughs> Moved to Houston, got here six months later, realized my body was already breaking down. You were down. exhausted. It just doesn't work here. Okay, so you have to take some supplements. It doesn't mean that you have to take every supplement on the planet. It means if you take a multi-nutrient or multi-herbal or a multivitamin, then you're going to be okay. Good. Every day. Just make sure it's the real thing. That's I'm a dead correct. man. Right? right. It's not processed vitamins or these right. laboratory vitamins. You know, get right. as much natural organic vitamins as right. you can. Right. So what are some other ways that we can get vitamins into our uh, food chain besides taking vitamins, eating fresh foods, uh, eat, and so on? What are other things with herbs that provide us vitamins? Because there are nutrients that we need as well, like iron and zinc. It's very right, important right, parts. Right, right, If you're eating plants, you're getting nutrients, period. Well, there you Sounds go, Sounds like Craig. our tune. It, it is. It's time to go. Marion, thank you. You're welcome. Call her in Houston, 713-723-1288. That's 723-1288. It's marionbell.com on the web. M-A-R-I-N-Bell.com on the web. Stay tuned next on Cluthian Company. It's Virtual Faith, the irreverent spiritual quest of Generation X. I may not live through the day. You're listening to Cluthian Company on Wisdom Radio. Call 1-800-655-2112 or send email to scottcluthy at wisdommedia.com. Here again, Scott Cluthy. And welcome back to Cluthy and Company, our very special guest in this portion of the program, Tom Bedoyne from Atlanta, Georgia, the author of the new book, Virtual Faith, the Irreverent Spiritual Quest of Generation X. Tom, welcome to Cluthy and Company and Wisdom Radio. Absolutely, and we are really looking forward to our conversation today. Tom was born in Kansas City, Missouri in 1969, son of a Catholic deacon, raised on a steady diet of video games, MTV, and Vatican II-style Catholicism. While pursuing a double major in history and secondary education at the University of Missouri before graduating with top honors, he was a volunteer soldier in the, in the Israeli Defense Force, and he won a limbo contest. I think that should really be at the top of the bio, Tom. <laughs> As far we'll put as relevant. Bio together. I don't know where that came from. I, well, hey, I, I'm only reading it. They, you know, they don't shoot the messenger, as they say. Uh, a public school teacher for many years, also uh, nominated as one of the top 100 best teachers in the U.S., so congratulations on that. Uh, and uh, just as important, he earned his Master's of Theological Studies at Harvard University School of Divinity, studying closely with Harvey Cox. Very interesting as well. Uh, has played in many rock bands and now resides in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia with his wife. Currently working on three, count them, three books. That's what it says here anyway. Uh, Virtual Faith, this is an excellent book, Tom, and a conversation well worth having and one that's really growing, I think, in awareness as 
we baby boomers do a little aging of our own and start to do the 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 vac reverse, reversal. Remember, I guess the famous line was, "Hope I die before I get old." Well, guess what? I'm glad I'm not dead, because I'm definitely getting older. That's true. And now we're turning it around, and we're looking back. Now my kids in in college. I don't know what that meant, Garrison. But about that. <laughs> You're getting older. That's what I'm saying. Apparently, Thank he's you. delayed too. But you know, now my son's in college, uh, and uh, it's interesting. You know, from my perspective of my spirituality, now looking at his perspective on religion and spirituality, and uh, the kid's very spiritually involved. But he's, you know, definitely involved in a different context than dad. Uh, this book speaks a lot to a conversation we need to open up with younger people for our value for our growth, isn't it? About our spiritual growth, not theirs. Well, I think, it's, I think it's mutual. I think that there's a conversation that needs to happen, and it's mostly one that needs to happen between the 60s generation, the baby boomers, who are now uh, in authority in mm -hmm. most uh, religious traditions in the United States, and uh, young adults. And I think there can be a, a mutual teaching and learning back and forth. And, and the issue really is... Um, one of the issues, anyway, is, is the generativity of a lot of those 60s values. Um, and, but not only the generativity of some of those values, like political engagement, uh, like, like different sorts of liberation, uh, like freedom, but, uh, like civil rights, but also for baby boomers to really take more seriously some of the values and some of the insights and commitments of younger people today. And that most religious institutions uh, don't know how to sponsor that kind of conversation that you suggested we need to have. You know, it's ironic that uh, you're talking about we need to take more seriously their values at the same time. We're doing what our parents did to us, which is, I guess that's the way it works, doesn't it? We're making surface judgments based on surfaced issues like well, clothing, music, looks, T-shirts. That's exactly right. And, and so uh, we're, we're drawing conclusions out of surface issues. That's right, and there's no, there's very little. I can't say there's none, but there's very little uh, shared discernment about the differences in the spiritual quest. Because the baby boomers, uh, most of those who are in their late 40s to their early 60s today, uh, would definitely define their spiritual quest in relation to a pretty common set of experiences. What was Vietnam like for me, or not like for me? Uh, what was a civil rights movement like? How did the women's movement affect me? Um, how did the politics of the of the 60s affect me? Um, what was the 70s like? There was a there was a there's a common set of reference points for baby boomers that really people define themselves and their spiritual quest for or against those common events. And there's a new generation now who are, are certainly in adulthood. I mean, the average Gen Xer is about mm -hmm. 29 or 30 years old. Who, have, who had a whole, a whole different set of reference points that are much more around the 1980s, uh, and uh, they, don't, they don't resonate uh, with all the baby boomer reference points. So, Tom, how, is it, how do we bring them together? Well, there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, one way uh, is a way that you're illustrating right now, which, which is to devote uh, some media time to holding public conversations about some of these differences. Uh, another way is for religious institutions to intentionally sponsor uh, events where there can be intergenerational dialogue. It seems to me grossly lacking. Uh, I was just for, just give you a concrete example. I was uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago in Jersey 
at a huge conference for different Catholic religious orders, you know, Benedictines, Jesuits, Dominicans, all the all of those. And they they were in some mild state of crisis because they have not been able to attract people from the younger generations in the numbers that they would want. And uh, when we got and I got to talking with them, it was clear to me that most of those religious orders have never intentionally set up situations where the different generations can talk to each other. There's there's one dominant generation, and it's the baby boom generation, and their worldview and their spirituality and their issues um, just rule everything that happens in a lot of those religious orders. So our, our religious institutions and religious communities need to sponsor intergenerational conversations. I did this, uh, I've done this at lots of churches mm-hmm. around issues of uh, family. Like what, what, you do, what we'll do sometimes at churches is uh, uh, sponsor an evening where it's going to be an intergenerational conversation. People from the Depression era, people from the World War II era, from uh, the 60s, uh, the baby boomers, and uh, Gen Xers and the teenagers too, we'll, all in, we'll invite representatives from each generation to, to lead a discussion about uh, a particular topic that evening. We did. We we've done one on family, which was very interesting. How did our how have our understandings of family changed over four or five generations? We've done one on sexuality. We've done one on spirituality, and these were without without making it sound easy. These were so reconciling for those communities. These were so healing for these communities. So that's another thing that. Uh, can happen to uh, affect this mutual teaching and learning between the generations. Tom, Thomas is Craig. I'm the, uh, I guess I'm the token Gen X guy. They flew me in yeah. just for the show. Um, though I don't consider myself a Gen X person. Like I, like I said, I'm like more like an 80 year old Jewish guy trapped in a 27 year old Catholic body. But uh-huh. um, strangely, pro- I know what you mean. I, yes. <laughs> and of course, the defining moment for my generation is seeing Princess Leah, you know, half naked on movie screen. That's about it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> At least but I, for many of the males in the That's generation. right. Well, yeah, and some of the, and that actually nowadays some of the females. Well, that, that's um, why I said many of the, yeah, I should have had the females too. Um, but the thing is, the problem, I, being a child of the 80s, um, even though I had some 70s sprinkled in me, um, when we saw religion in any context, it was Tammy Faye Baker screaming into a microphone, singing and <laughs> oh, dancing. God. It was, you know, coming down to the, um, it was Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Swagger bawling his eyes out on television. It's, right. you know, people just asking for money because apparently, and then unlike, beating the crap out of yeah, James Baker. Unlike the god of the 1940s and 1950s, my god is broke. Um, <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's, it's a good god. He's just short on cash. My God's god. a little short on cash these days. That's what we hear. That is what I see. 24.5 percent. That's what I see as the problem with the is that that time in the 80s when it was me, me, me has tainted. It has just dissuaded anybody of my generation from going to church or any religion. I grew up in a religious area, but when you get, uh, you know, hit with this stuff constantly, you know, every day it's something new, it's something bad, you decide, well, maybe this religion thing's not the greatest thing in the world. I'll have to find another way of an outlet. Well, uh, you've really put your finger on uh, an important dimension of, if you could call it Gen X spirituality, I don't, I don't mean to speak for everyone in the 20s and 30s, but, but you, you really mentioned something that's um, uh, very important in the lives of uh, young adults today, this experience of the 1980s and televangelism. I mean, what I, one response to growing up 
the, the basic, let me put it this way. The basic issue is this. The, the public image of a Christian that my generation grew up with was the religious right. right? That, is the, that is a prevailing public image uh, for Christian identity. Still today, the mainline churches in the United States do not have a viable alternative. Tom, on that happy note, we're going to take a break and come back. Tom Bedoin, the book is Virtual Faith. In fact, yeah, another image is that religion means politics. Swim in there and tell people how to vote. That's a new one. Anyway, we'll be back with more here on Cluthy and Company and Wisdom Radio, of course. That's what you're tuned into. We're glad to have you with us. Continue on and stay with us. Now, back to Cluthy and Company with Scott Cluthy on Wisdom Radio. Our guest is Tom Bedoin. The book is Virtual Faith, the Irreverent Spiritual Quest of Generation X, and it's uh, published by Josie Bass, a Wiley company, so look for it on your bookshelves. This is just out, isn't it, Tom? Uh, it's the new paperback is just out. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a conversation well worth having, and uh, we're joined here by the Cluthy and crew, and somebody has a question. I think Garrison? Yeah, I had a question for you, uh, Tom. Mm -hmm. You know, in the, in the last 10 years, things have been a very large spiritual movement. And, uh, you know, one of my theories is that it seems, uh, seems like everything seems to be connected to a 12-step program, which is kind of like, a, I guess you could call that spiritual kindergarten, which kind of helps people along the way. And, um, you know, you talked about a lack of dialogue between the, uh, the baby boomers and, and Gen X. And uh, what, are some, what are some of the ways that you could just, get something like that started let's say someone in their local church wanted to start that what would be the first thing that you would do well you know the first thing i would say is um actually to do something uh that that by your comment maybe you would disagree with which is to look at the spirituality that people are already practicing in your local con in your local religious context your local church or whatever and for a lot of people that's going to be 12-step uh work and I don't, I don't really see it as kind of a kindergarten kind of spirituality. I see in people who are engaged in, in, who are really working that program in the recovery process, there's some uh, en enormously uh, impressive uh, spiritual work going on there. Uh, and so I, I think it's important to take that um, somewhat seriously, not uncritically, but, but, but pretty seriously. Um, and to to find out who's doing that kind of work in your church, so kind of take the spiritual temperature of of, of the situation and, and really ask what kind of how are people seeking out uh, their spiritual lives in my particular context, and um, then to I, w I would just say um, begin to help people uh, name some of the generational differences, and the only way you can do that often in a church is by Picking on the pressure points, uh, often there will be um, different tensions in the church. Sometimes it'll come out in music. Sometimes it'll come out in, in what's being preached. Sometimes it'll come out kind of in the larger larger issues of the worship service. And there are often generational tensions. So you've got to look at those situ look at those tensions in your church, which don't have to be destructive. They can be productive. And to say, what are the generational dimensions of this? issue uh when what and then how do, then uh how do we set up 
uh, a conversation about that that respects some of these generational differences about our spirituality. Music is, especially for mainline Protestants, music is one way that there are huge generational differences today. Yeah, that's a big conversation. In fact, my son, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the uh, New Age uh, bohemian you know wacko earth goddess guy <laughs> and and my son my son raised in a household uh, surrounded with an open an open context to spirituality and uh, support uh, you know both i'm raised a roman catholic my wife uh, an episcopalian and yet you know we we are who we are or, and that's for sure and uh his his pursuit uh, led him to play drums in three different church bands two of them Baptists, and uh -huh. I'm kind of like, you know, interesting picture, which says a lot, I think, about his upbringing and, and his ability to explore what, what his, but it's funny that one church that had a problem with young people not showing up, as soon as one music director left, told his band that they needed to leave because the music was too wild. Right. And well, they're, they're writing, they're doing Christian right. pop music, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm thinking, idiots. Yeah. And I see the same thing in the Southern Baptist Convention. They they tell women they can't be involved in the hierarchy. I don't see how that could ever attract a female of a Generation X consciousness, probably 90%. Well, yeah, it's like they're writing their own death warrant. Right. And almost every single you've, – you've got an important issue there. Almost every single survey of Gen Xers uh, who define themselves as spiritual, which is 80%, 90% of them, uh, also show that that, that same cohort – is in favor of expanded roles for women in ministry. Not limited. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. I, I read an article, uh, Tom, that said that there were some Baptist churches around the country. <laughs> what they were doing is they were taking the name Baptist mm -hmm. out of their church yep. and increasing their numbers by about 50% within a very small period of time. Because they took the word Baptist out. Right. They said we're now the no. church of loving something. Right. And wham, they're full. The church right. they, they didn't sell. change their criteria. They didn't change anything. So I, I think sometimes that there's a, a stigma. But a lot of things that the Baptist Church do well, like they have great programs. Here in Houston, we have very large... For very, youth. For, right, great youth programs. Right. Absolutely. I acknowledge them for participating in that way. Large volumes of kids. Now, what about the conversation, though, about some other approaches to spirituality, though, Tom? You know, I, I go to a, a Unity Church of Christianity, and sometimes to me, I just consider it soft-cell Baptist. And uh, that's not my brand. But, you know, it's like I don't... Uh, I. Uh, you are, you are a bohemian. <laughs> I, I am. Well, I, the truth is my consciousness keeps changing to more of an orientation toward wanting to get back to more uh, Native American consciousness of the earth. I think the earth, uh, we, uh, people talk the earth, but they don't do the earth. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And so how do Generation Xers fit into that conversation? Where do they fit in when we get outside the confines? I, I realize you're coming from a Catholic perspective. Oh, but <laughs> well, I think what, what I see, and I, my work only... Actually, a minority of my work is with Catholic churches. Most of my work is with Protestant churches and, and uh, free church evangelicals. Uh, I think that, in general, amidst the generation, there's a real curiosity about all sorts of religious traditions. And by and large, with a few exceptions, but by and large, most young adults are, are interested in learning different things from different religious traditions. For instance, from Native American traditions. I mean, there's kind of no one Native American religion per se, but from Native American religious mm -hmm. traditions, uh, many young adults today are very interested in learning things about the environment, about an earth-sensitive spirituality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 
the the typical young adult I work with has has a fondness or a curiosity at least about uh, what Native Americans can teach, and also an interest in the Pope as this great spiritual media icon, uh, and also a sensitivity to a personal relationship with Jesus that the evangelicals preach, and also a fondness for a kind of rich liturgical style of the Orthodox. And so uh, all of these are kind of swirling around in young adult culture today. And even if people won't go to a sweat lodge or to to an Orthodox mass or something like that, still they're curious about those things, and and if if the opportunity presents itself, they they really will take those things in. And take part in the conversation, Claire? That's right. Yes, uh, Tom, this is Claire. One of the, the things that I'm, I'm noting about what you've written about in your book and the conversation we're having here today is that it seems as if the, the Gen Xers especially and those who are on the borderline of that are wanting to simply bring the passion back into the and the spirituality back into religion. Is it, would, you, would you say that that's probably part of the message of how religion still matters? I think you're exactly right. I think and passion is a very good word to choose. Uh, not the least because there's a very deep interest today in being able to reunite somehow sexual or erotic experience and spiritual life. This is being played out in all sorts of ways in young adults' lives, sometimes in very destructive ways in, in, in which um, sexual or erotic activity uh, becomes a replacement for a spiritual life, kind of a surrogate for it. But in, in lots of other ways, people are really searching for ways to, to connect these two passions of the spiritual life and the, and the, and the sexual life. And uh, I think that uh, um, they're also on the lookout. They're also wary of uh, deceptive passions, which gets us back to the legacy of the televangelists that we talked about earlier. Yes, amplified phony passions. That's right. Used to manipulate emotional energy. In fact, uh, Tom, I want people to know that Virtual Faith has an incredibly important conversation about sensual spirituality, about our impassioned and uh, our really our humanness mm. that has been disconnected, I think, too, past, too often in the past from Orthodox religion, which I think they would be well served to pay attention to your message mm. if they want to be a viable religious institution in, uh, 50 years from now, mm. uh, because that conversation is so important. We have to keep our humanity and our humanness in part of this conversation and quit trying to idolize an ideal that doesn't exist. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Thank yes, you Tom, so much thank for you. having me. It's been a delight. Yeah, we'll thanks, have Tom. you back again. It's Virtual Faith, Tom Bedoin, The Irreverent Spiritual Quest of Generation X, published by Josie Bass. And there's a lot of great information, especially about the Internet, our virtual world we live in, and the images of people like Madonna and how they are creating icons for the new generations. Tom, thanks again, and have a great day in Atlanta. Thank you so much. Stay with us on Wisdom Radio. It's Cluthian Company. We'll be back for our second hour. In Company with Scott Cluthie on Wisdom Radio. It's that time again. Larry James joining us from CelebrateLove.com. I'm going to hit you with a stick, buddy. I just like saying that, the love. Hi, Larry. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. It's hard to get a word in edgewise today. but You know, this is a pretty good topic for this week because it goes on all the time. Not that, of course, as a male, I don't know that I'm right. Is it love rambling? Is that what it's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Craig couldn't be with us this year. <laughs> His microphone doesn't work anymore. Uh, 
he said, she said is, is kind of a version of this, but uh, let's throw out the topic there, Larry. You can do it so much better, obviously, than I can right now. Well, my take is that we, we, we attend the same event, and we both walk away, and we say, well, there's different scores, you know? I mean, it's the same thing you're talking about. It's like, it's, a, it's probably a matter of interpretation. You know, Dr. John Gray said it best when he said, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We really are different. Uh, men and women uh, say things, and they both have their own interpretation, and sometimes we just expect our partner to read our mind. We don't say the whole thing. We, we, we've already thought it through, so we just kind of skim over it. There's total misunderstanding, and then we walk away and we say, well, what did she say? And it causes all kinds of disagreements. Uh, let's say, here's the scenario. You've had a really stressful day. Hardly anything went as planned. You arrive at home and you discover that your partner has experienced a similar kind of a day and you begin to notice that you're taking your day out on your partner or maybe you didn't notice. Uh, he says this, she says that, starts out just a little and then in no time all of your buttons get to be pushed. As the misunderstanding gains momentum, what happens is that a small insignificant comment is now causing the pot to simmer. Uh, couples who are considerate of each other's feelings would most likely allow this kind of thing to pass on a normal day, but this isn't a normal day. You know, it was a bad day. Okay. You're going to survive. Right. You know, and it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and suddenly it mushrooms into this great big enormous confrontation. And now she's really upset, and so is he. What do you do? End up sleeping on the couch. <laughs> That's one option. <laughs> she lets you stay in the house. Oh, it's some right. some <laughs> people, after long periods of time of this, they leave each other. True. They're True. not able to really communicate and, uh, and handle this kind of stress in a relationship. I've gone through this with my present wife, with my wife. You know, it's, it's No, like, you've never had a fight. <laughs> not the well, love. Actually, we have, we have, yeah, we have fights. I, I'm not going to, I wouldn't actually call them fights. Because like we, we don't get to a point where I used to, right. you know, where I would scream and holler and then we'd walk away and and not talk to each other for three days and, you know. Ouch. And, and that, that's not smart. It just. That's that's painful for like some of us. It's like a wound that doesn't heal. So now you know, you're just having kind of a snit? Is that it? <laughs> a snit. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Snitty little Larry. No. You know. Uh, it, you know it, go ahead. It, yeah. It, you know that <clears throat> we don't walk into the house expecting to have this happen mm -hmm. but what we walk in with is all the baggage from the day and the decisions we've made emotionally the conversations right. we've been carrying on around the people we'd like to strangle the people who did things to us or the thing that we're angry about that we're not communicating with or haven't had anything to share with and what do we do we walk up to the one person we can talk to the most honestly with the most candor mm -hmm. they always say you know you always hurt the one you love it's that's exactly the same conversation it's the yeah. same thing Seems because like of the vulnerability, true. we have an open channel to unload. Mm -hmm. well, so, so the question might be, why do we see each other as enemies when we come in the door rather than as adversaries who can, I mean, rather yeah, than as... Yeah, what starts the snowball, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that I have, at a, at a recent seminar, at a, during a question and answer period, somebody brought this very same topic up and I said you know why don't you do this why don't we have a 20-minute rule why don't we have some kind of a rule that says you know when you see when you begin to see that your partner is 
like hot about something, you know, just upset, had a bad day, mm-hmm. whatever. Just take a 20-minute break. Just agree to have a 20-minute break. And then agree to come back and at least make up for that 20 minutes by talking about what was going on in your day for 20 minutes. All right? Just 20 minutes. If we would do this just 20 minutes every day, for example, I think actually the uh, the, the, the end result would be that our relationships would be a heck of a lot healthier. The, the trouble is that we, we spout off, uh, it's like I said, I think on a previous show, you can't unring a bell. Once you've said something, it goes out there, and man, it does its damage, and then the fight is on, you know. So why not just take a 20-minute cooling off period and agree to come back for 20 minutes sometime later? And then the other thing is, if, it's, if the pot is still boiling, uh, you may want to postpone it even some more, maybe another day, you know. But the problem is, is that when we allow this cooling off period and we never come back and talk about it, then it's still there. It hasn't gone away, and we have to really work with that. Uh, stressful events are there to, not to break us. They are there to make us stronger, to make us work together, and to have us love each other in a healthy way. I'll talk some more about that in just a little bit. You know, one of the things that uh, that John Gray shared in his work, and, you know, I was, I'll tell you, I've fought this book, and I've known John uh, for a number of years just because he lived here in Houston, and so I had an opportunity to be with him on the radio in various times. But one of the things I fought tooth and nail was this idea of, oh, men are this way, and women are this way, and, oh, no, no, we're all individuals, and we're all amalgamations of all this stuff. But you know what? There are two pieces of his that are so about to speak directly to this. And you talked about this cooling off period. One is the idea of the cave. Right. When, and, you know, I tried to say, no, I'm not that way. Guess what? I'm that way. Yeah, so am I. I am that way. I walk in the house. I've got to go to my cave, even living alone now Yeah. with my son. i got to go to my cave. I got to, I, as a male, I've got to go in. i got to pull back. i got to close the door. I've got to turn on the mindless boob tube. i got to do something that's just about chilling out. You yeah. know, that's what the guys with the beer, the football game. Right. That's where that consciousness comes from. It's about getting chilled out. It's about separating from all those male role demands we have out there. Right. And then a woman, a woman has that spiraling conversation that where she wants to unwind what's happened to her. She wants a conversation. She wants a little bit of a dance where she wants to be listened to and heard. And these differences are real. I find this 90% of the time, men and women, and understanding these two models really makes a big difference. I think that's where John Gray's work has helped probably the most has helped in the understanding of it. You know, and, and by the way, Nothing is cast in bronze. No. My wife, for example, Sandy, she will sometimes go to her cave. She she demonstrates her masculine side by doing that. And me as a public speaker, as a relationship person, and, and I'm working with this stuff all of the time, I want to talk about it as soon as I can. I want to get through it, work through it, and uh, because I know what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and this, is, this is the truth. What happens is we go off into our corner and we, if we're upset at each other, and she thinks about what she thinks about, he thinks about what he thinks about, it grows in mushrooms within each other, and it continues to grow if you don't talk about it. We right. make up things about it that really didn't right. ever even happen. We're taking on now a conversation with an imaginary partner who's answering us, and we're making decisions based on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I've ever done that, of course. Well, yeah, really. Larry um, Garrison Wynn, one of the things that, that I think is interesting, and I, I do workshops around the country, and when I do communication segments, we talk a lot about the differences between men and women and things like that. 
and, and that is the fact that you know men have this tendency, and I do it too, that when we're when we're listening to a woman share and a woman is talking about how she feels, mm-hmm. and a lot of times men we talk about how we think rather than how we feel, and have a tendency to uh, when they say something that we think uh, is you know, uh, needs an answer and all that. We have a tendency to go in there and pretty much interrupt them when they're speaking. So yeah. basically they want to be heard. That's right. They want to be heard. We want to slip in our brilliance. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, no communication takes place unless the other person feels heard. Yeah. So there we are. Well, see, that, there's, when you do it that way, there is actually no request for coaching. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. she's not asking you to fix it. She doesn't want a mystery right. fix it. What she really wants is a, now listen to these words. She wants a committed listener, somebody who will be committed to only listen to what she's got to say. The opposite is also true. Us guys, we need to be listened to, too, so it's, it's not just a one-sided thing. But she needs somebody who is willing to listen. Just say, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, really? Is there anything else? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, or whatever, you know, but she does not want your brilliance, as you so well put it i mean you know us guys we just we've just got to slip it in there we've got to show her how smart we really are that's right we'll be back with more on that happy note larry james is our guest the author of how to really love the one you're with a firmament of guidelines for a healthy love relationship claire applegate's been so nice sitting here being a dedicated listener that she'll come back with some questions for larry on cluthy and company on wisdom radio stay with us You're listening to Cluthie and Company on Wisdom Radio. Call 1-800-655-2112 or send email to scottcluthy at wisdommedia.com. Here again, Scott Cluthy. On with Larry James talking about relationships and he said, she said, uh, different perspectives and interpretations of males and females. And uh, you can always find out a lot more, by the way, at CelebrateLove.com. Larry, that's your website. In fact, there's some articles that you would point people toward on this particular topic, right? Right. On the home page is a uh, link to the relationship articles menu, and it lists 35 uh, relationship articles. Uh, Some of them are for singles, a lot of them for married couples. But what we're talking about today is uh, a topic that's called same event, different scores, if they'd like to read a little bit more about what we're speaking of right now. Yeah. And, you you know, we talked a little earlier about this cooling down period, this 20-minute cooling down period. Mm -hmm. That's for anybody. In a new relationship in particular, it can be very touch and go when the lines of communication aren't established completely on on our personality differences. I know you had some more about that. Well, depending upon the level of uh, excitement that's going on between you, uh, 20 minutes may not be enough. You know, sometimes it's it's wise to put it off just a little little bit longer. But I think the, the, the key is, is that if problems are not discussed, and responsibly acknowledged by each partner, you know, for their share of the problem. Mm-hmm. Then the next time one of these small, insignificant, everyday misunderstandings occur, the same stuff is going to surface. So it's very, very important to emphasize that you really do need to come back and talk to it. Now, how do you do that when you're still, you know, I mean, you still have those feelings. You may have cooled off a little bit. Well, my suggestion is this is that you take 20 minutes. Well, it doesn't even take that long. You just sit down and just just chat for a minute and say, look, here's what we're going to do. This time, today, you get to talk. 
if you're talking to your wife or your significant other, you say, you get to talk for as long as you want to talk, and I will listen at least 20 minutes. Let's, let's, let's do this 20-minute rule thing. I will only listen. I promise not to interrupt. I promise not to offer my opinion. You get to talk. You get to spill the beans. You get to say anything you want. I promise that I will not respond, react, or whatever to it. The following day, I get to talk, and you get to listen. And then my suggestion is that you wait a day or so and kind of let all of this soak in, because sometimes things get said that even though you're not as angry as you were, it still hurts. And you've got to really understand that your partner is saying this because the, your partner is really, truly expressing the feelings that they have at that time. And it, that takes courage. And it also takes uh, something on your part to just withhold this uh, conversation that you'd like to have about it in the moment that it's happening. So I suggest that you wait a day or so, let it sink in, and then come back together and responsibly talk about it. Say, I'm sorry. Say, look, let's not do this again. Let's not have this happen this way again. Let's use this 20-minute uh, idea to the, when something begins to start. Let's, let's, let's immediately give the timeout sign you know, to let, a, let your partner know that, no, this isn't working, or have some signal, you know, have some kind of a, uh, a, a verbal type, something that you say that lets them know that, no, this isn't a good time to talk about it. Because I think that, you know, it has to be talked about. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it cannot not be talked about, because if it doesn't, it will explode later into a massive volcano. Right, that's gonna, the... It, that's it, it, you know, you won't be able to handle it, and right. then you're you're going to want to walk away and so forth. And too many right. people do that. It'll be over the top. Then it's just that yeah. this isn't worth it and all that. And then we go and repeat it somewhere else. Yeah. In yes, the middle of in the middle of disagreement, our need to be right causes us to experience these uh, contrasting realities too. And I I know that I, I don't remember this is off the air or on the air, but somebody mentioned that earlier, you know, that you just want to be right about it. Well, you know, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we got somebody who said great. right. I've been right. We got right. somebody who is eventually going to be unhappy. Yeah. Because that's, that's fine, right. but I can be happy later. I can be right now. Yeah, I've, okay. I've, I've been so right that nobody would, would talk to me. You never <laughs> struck me as a happy well, child. I have too, and I think that guys especially, I don't know, I know that, I know Sandy, my, my wife, sometimes she just she knows she's right, and I know she isn't. I know she isn't. <laughs> you get to and get off really of it, Larry. it really is very tough for me just to shut up. I know, know it's hard, let isn't it? Pass. Yeah. Who cares? You're a public speaker. Claire? Yes, Larry. Um, you know, I love how you're taking this work, um, the, I, the concept of waiting, uh, processing, giving some time, cooling down, et cetera, before you talk, and then, you know, taking a day, et cetera, because this feels like an evolutionary process of learning these tools. Yeah. And then we use these tools in other places as well, the workplace or, right. you know, friendships, et cetera, family relationships. And this is, this is what I'd like to ask you is, is what is the next step in the evolutionary process? Process of this, would you see that possibly that uh, the, the the time that it takes in order to accomplish this may go from say the three days to maybe even one day where we sure. get we exercise this enough that we we're getting the true meaning of of the benefits of this? Yeah, I think that eventually you get to you begin to understand that you know. Um, well, when people ask me, 
you know, because I'm involved in this work all the time, and it does help me stay a lot more centered than probably the average person. And they asked me, they said, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference for me is, is that once you learn this stuff and once you really begin to have the courage to use these ideas, then your bounce-back time is so much shorter. You know, I can remember times in past relationships where there were, three weeks would go by, you know, and it's like we would just treat each other hostile. You know, I mean, that's just so stupid. Uh, now, uh, probably an hour, maybe. <laughs> you know, not like being hostile, but I don't even have that thought in my mind. You know, I love this woman. I really love Sandy, and I don't want this hostility to be there and to fester, you know? Right. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's that my choice is then, to, and which is my greatest power, my choice is to not have this occur Hopefully, you have a partner who feels the same way. It works an awful lot better that way if you can have understanding and if you can have agreements about things. Sandy and I have a little rule, you know, to talk about anything and everything all the time. And that's very difficult. It's really very difficult to live up to that. And sometimes we don't, you know, but we then we come back to it. And it's like I was saying, you know, to Clarence, you know, you bounce back a lot quicker. You, you decide that, you know, this is, this is not a healthy relationship to be in this constant turmoil all the time. So your time does get shorter with, uh, with using these techniques. Larry, you know, there's an old saying they always say for newlyweds that uh, lends itself to this. This is the those truth in those old sayings, uh, never go to bed angry. Right. Uh, that, to me, is so important, you know, uh, because a lot of these things happen when we get after the working day, yeah. after, the, after the dinner. In fact, whatever ticked you off or plugged you in happened, but nothing was said about it. It was just compressed or pushed away or shoved away until dinner or the kids were out of the room or whatever happened, and yeah. then it all comes to bear at 9 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, and something is said and then what's sitting there packed in here, this compressed energy, this emotion is waiting to be revealed. Yeah. And so it is important to not go to bed in that kind of state of turmoil emotionally and for your relationship and uh, to get it out while it's honestly there. You know, even, even if you're still angry, I, I give you one real quick example. I can remember one time in my relationship where Sandy and I were just livid at each other. I mean, it was it was a money issue, and this was right after we first uh, were married, and we were both very upset. And she was on one side of the kitchen in the kitchen. I was on the other side, and I looked at her and I said, "You know, I am really pissed off right now." And she said, "Yeah, you look who's talking. Me too." And I said, "You know what I need?" And she said, "No." And I said. I need a hug. Ooh. And she looked at me and she said, Larry James, I don't even like you right now. And I said, I know, but I love you and I need a hug. And do you know what we did? We walked around the, chi uh, the kitchen block, which was just a couple of steps. We met each other halfway. We gave each other a big hug. And she you know cracked how the rib. You know how you're hugging somebody? You can kind of feel when the hug is over. You know, yeah. somebody lets go. You know right. what I mean? Didn't happen. We must have stood there for three or four or five, it seemed like an eternity, and you could almost feel the anger dissipate. Just, we were still very upset about the situation, but we knew that we had to come back and talk about it, and we allowed a time to, to come back, which, which was like the next day, you know, and Larry, we worked it out. Larry, we're going we're gonna to come back next week. 
Uh, but uh, CelebrateLove.com is the site. Larry James, our guest. Uh, that was great, Larry. Thanks for spending the time with us on Cluthian Company this week. You're welcome. Remember, Thank everybody, you. celebrate love. All right. We love you, Larry. Well, Thanks, we, Larry. Well, I like him a whole lot. <laughs> we'll be back to talk about that Libra sun out there with our staff astrologer, Richard Fleece.